Welcome to our third segment of this afternoon's program. It's Sunday, March 21st, 2021. I'm your host, Kieran Murdoch. On this segment, we are looking at the story of a man who claims he had been supporting a child that was not his for over a decade and that on more than one occasion, he was denied the ability to have a paternity test done to verify whether or not he was the father of that child. Uh, he says he'd been seeking to have a paternity test done since 2006, but only had one done recently. And he says he's been jailed in relation to paying child support. Uh, that he was reportedly denied a paternity test appears to be the most contentious and indeed bizarre aspect of the story, especially when you analyze the commentary that we've had about it on the airwaves and on Facebook. Uh, and so on this segment, we'll be asking uh, what went wrong in this situation and how can the legal system better ensure the interests of children while not being unjust to proven or presumed parents. Uh, joining us for this segment, we're happy to have with us uh, Miss Ivinia Benjamin. She's an attorney at law and a former senior magistrate in Anguilla. Good afternoon to you, Miss Benjamin. Is Ivina Benjamin, good afternoon. Can you hear us? All right, we'll uh, come back to, as we saw that out. Good uh, afternoon, can you hear me? Yes, okay, lovely. We can hear you very clearly now. Good afternoon. How are you doing this afternoon? I'm fine, thanks, Mr. Murdoch. Good afternoon to you and your listeners and to the team, the panelists. Yeah, we also have with us on this panel Miss Monique Francis-Gordon. She's an attorney here in Antiguan Barbuda, and she regularly handles family matters in the magistrates and the high court. A good afternoon to you, Miss Monique Francis-Gordon. Good afternoon, and thank you for having me. And uh, finally, we have on this panel Mr. Jared Hewlett. Uh, he, too, is an attorney at law here in Antigua and Barbuda with the firm Watt uh, Dorset uh, Hewlett Law, and he regularly deals with family matters, again, in the magistrates and high court. Uh, good afternoon to you, Mr. Jared Hewlett. Hi, good afternoon, everyone. Thanks for having me. Miss um, Monique Francis-Gordon, if I could begin with you, just to get from you your initial reaction uh, I don't know if perhaps when I uh, extended the invitation is when you first came by the story or perhaps you came by the story before I extended the invitation to come and discuss it. But your your reaction to the story when you first read it. I, I heard the story on the airwaves and a, a one or two friends actually spoke to me about it, expressing concern and a certain degree of alarm and sympathy for the gentleman. Because it, it, it does invoke people's sympathy and you think, oh no, how could somebody have supported a child for this length of time, being imprisoned, denied uh, their liberty at, uh, over something like this and not having had the paternity test when they requested the paternity test. Now, one, so that caused me to look closer at the matter and I just want to make clear that I do not represent the individual and I am just speaking generally um, from my knowledge of the system. And I think one of the things to note is that based on the story, the individual would have been unrepresented. And many, the vast majority of the people who come through the system are unrepresented. And court, a court experience can be quite daunting. And sometimes what you find is that, you know, persons come before the court and they're tongue-tied. The magistrate says something and they just agree because they're just uncomfortable with the circumstances and want to get out of that setting as quickly as possible and may not have fully appreciated what they agreed to or did not agree to or did not understand what the magistrate said. And instead of saying, I'm sorry, ma'am, I did not understand you, find themselves consenting to... because. 
the general practice is you are asked if you accept or you dispute paternity. And um, if you accept paternity, then a DNA test is not required. Um, but what I have seen happen is somebody accepts paternity and then, you know, a while goes by and they're like, you know, maybe that child isn't mine. Maybe I should do the paternity test now. But the court would have said, well, you've already accepted paternity, so we're not going to order a paternity test now. Uh, and, you know, these are part and parcel of the complex issues that uh, come into bear in matters of this nature. Uh, Mr. Jared Hewlett, uh, the same question to you. Uh, you. Just your initial reaction when you, you first read the story or you, you first heard about it. Uh, what, what, what came to mind? Well, I did hear this story before you brought it to my attention as well, um, as, as Monique did. My my first um, thought was was trying to figure out how that could have happened because uh, according to the story, he would have. Um, the the story says that he's been um, contesting a ter- uh, paternity for fifteen years. So none of the magistrates that we have that are sitting today were magistrates fifteen years ago. Which means, and and if and if he was brought before the court um, on more than one occasion, that means he would have had to dealt with multiple magistrates um, apart from the initial one 15 years ago. And to me, to my mind, if you if every time he comes before the court, he he indicates to the court he is not the father of this child, and the court just ignores it and continues. That that to me is 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 quite you know unlikely. As I said, I don't know have any personal information on the matter or the, the, the parties involved. But to me, to my mind, that is a, is a, it's a really um, unbelievable situation. Um, to, to Monique's point with regard to clients in court, I have had situations not, uh, numerous times where I've been in court representing a client and the judge has said something or indicated something. And after the court, after the matter, my client has a completely different understanding of what was said or what was ordered or the re- the court's reasoning. And they were sitting right next to me hearing exactly what, what, what the, the judge said. But I guess because of, um, you know, I'm accustomed to being in court and I'm comfortable in court. And these might be um, these parties, you know, first appearance, they're nervous, whatever the case is, they, they misunderstand um, certain procedures, certain orders. I'm not sure if that's something that happened or he, he went about his protests in the proper way, I don't know. But to me, going to the magistrate's court on multiple occasions before multiple magistrates over 15 years and consistently protesting paternity and being denied that by the court, I, I find that hard to, to, to stomach. Ms. Benjamin, um, your take uh, when you, you first read uh, or came by the story? Well, yes, like counsel, Mr. Hewlett, I first read about the story when you sent me the link to the story. And I have never worked in Antigua. I'm not familiar with the laws of Antigua, so I cannot speak from um, a point of of legal authority as it relates to the laws of Anguilla. I'm sorry, Antigua, but I can give as a former magistrate uh, um, the the procedure as to what should have happened when he went before the court. And as counsel, Ms. Gordon said earlier on, the court would have had to ask ask him whether or not uh, he would accept paternity. And if he, if he did accept, or if he didn't accept, the court would have had to have some trial or the other. I'm not sure what the laws of Antigua says when it comes to paternity tests, but in many of our territories, we do not have the laws that mandate that. Most people would have to consent 
to um, a, a, a paternity test. And um, so if on the very first hearing, the court would have determined whether by his own admission or by his findings as a result of a trial that he was liable and they entered um, or they made an order, a maintenance order um, in favor of the child or the mother, whereby he would be asked to pay monies every month until the child gets to a certain age, then um, that would have been settled if that was the case. If after the initial hearing, the gentleman would have wanted the court to revisit the whole issue of paternity, which in the mind of the court would have been settled on the first occasion, then it would have been a very difficult thing to do because he would have had to um, present the court with compelling reasons as to why the court should revisit that original order. And if he, if he was unrepresented, I would see the challenge there because it's not, it's not easy trying to get a court to, to listen to those arguments that, as far as the court is concerned, would have been settled before because there's no way the court would have ordered this gentleman to, to pay maintenance if it was not satisfied by one way or the other that, or if, if it was not, if the court had not first um, crossed the hurdle of, of paternity. So I don't know, I can't speak to the facts. I, I don't know, you know, I'm not mm -hmm. familiar with what happened. But that is what I, I imagine would have been the difficulty he would have had after trying to get the court to revisit his concerns after the order was made. He would have had to engage counsel and they would have had to, because it is not easy setting aside a maintenance order mm -hmm. when the court has its eyes on the best interests of the child. I'm sure you, I, you would have heard that too before, that everybody, um, the public would be clamoring about one thing, but the court would be thinking, okay, this child needs maintenance. And based on what happened at the original hearing, the court would have felt that they did the right thing. I don't know. I am not sure. If that matter would have happened in my court, I well, I, I approach things differently. Eh? I always try to listen. And if this man is saying that this is not his child, he would have had to tell me why, you know, explain to me. And I don't know what the laws in, in Antigua says when it comes to paternity, but in Anguilla where I work, we do not have laws mandating um, paternity tests. So I would have to ask the other side, which is the mother, whether she'd be willing to consent to a paternity test since this man is raising those concerns. Let me, I was just going to say, I, I want to bring in Ms. Monique Francis Gordon on that question. There's a number of issues that have been raised so far by all of our panelists. Um, one having to do with uh, whether or not, well, I shouldn't say whether or not, but the issue of different laws and uh, the fact that sometimes in certain jurisdictions you may have uh, a right uh, set out in law to a paternity test and other times not so much. Uh, we also have the issue of what would have taken place at the initial hearing uh, and the fact that, as I understand from the panelists, if at an initial hearing um, it is accepted and determined by the court that you have accepted the paternity and that is not an issue, then it becomes very difficult later on to, 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 to fight that uh, if it is you have doubts. Um, and of course, bearing that in mind with the fact that you may not have set out in law a, 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 a stone cold right to a paternity test, whether it becomes even more difficult. Yes. And you may be unrepresented as well. Uh, so, Ms. Monique Francis Gordon, um, how much of an issue do you think that that is? Uh, the issue of uh, there being a determination at an initial hearing and trying to change that afterwards? I think, um, basically, I think as a. Um 
we don't have the paternity test as of right. It's perhaps an area that we need to look at. But as a matter of practice, it um, it comes up at that first hearing. And um, basically, it, it is done at that first hearing. But perhaps when we look at this case and you think, how can we prevent something like this from happening again? Because it is a travesty when you look at it from this gentleman's perspective. How can we prevent something like this from happening again? And I think the best way is to mandate paternity tests and where the litigant, but you can waive the right to a paternity test. But I think we should go one step further so that once you file, the first thing that happens automatically is a paternity test unless um, the, the alleged father waives the right to having a paternity test done. And if that alleged father is unrepresented, the only way he can waive that is to go before a notary public and sign the waiver document because that way it guarantees the court that he, at the time that he was waiving um, that right to have a paternity test, that um, he would then be liable for the child. Because I think one of the interesting things in the, in the story that's brought this all right is that this has been at which point had a change in our maintenance laws in 2008 with the, um, um, the Child Maintenance and, and Access Act, um, which came into effect at that point in time. And so our, what, and what our law does clearly, it's not only the, uh, it codifies some of the common law. It's, so it's not only the parents that are responsible for a child. If you assume responsibility for a child, you, you, an order for maintenance can be made against you as well. So you can have a situation where, um, I'm not sure it's my child, but my mommy tell me to take it. Or, you know, I feel, you know, I was with the girl for a period of time. So I feel that I should take the child. You start bonding with the child. And then a few years go by and you start to have doubts. But then a child is not a piece of furniture. And... You know, these are the things that come into play so that if you assume responsibility for a child, whether or not that child is yours, you can actually be held liable for maintenance. You can also be held liable. Um, you can also then mandate visitation rights with that child as well because you are maintaining that child. And so it's not just a question of I, am I the father or am I not the father? Once you have acted as a father, an order for maintenance can be made against you now in Antigua. When this case would have first come to light, um, that was the position, but at common law. But now this act has codified that position um, in, in reference to that type of situation. But one of the things that we need to look at i remember i had a case about 20 years ago which was very similar to this but in that case the man he had um he the the, the matter went to court and the paternity test proved that he was not the father of the child but the court ordered him to maintain the child nonetheless he had maintained the child from birth he now had questions. The paternity test was ordered. 
and um he was ordered to maintain the child but he took the he was hot he was hot done and he and there was now an order for court for him to maintain the child and he wondered you know what was his recourse in these circumstances because the court is saying well look you have taken on the responsibility for father you, um there's a child at stake here the child's interest is paramount and um you therefore have to maintain this child and he felt hard done by that and he wanted to know what he could do in these circumstances because now if he doesn't comply with the order of the court he is in um he is he, he's in contempt of court and he can he can be sent to prison for it because he has not complied with the order of court so what we looked at is in the part particular circumstances of the case it was such that an um that he could he could prove that fraud had occurred, that the um, that his former partner had in fact defrauded him, because the circumstances were that it was mathematically impossible, by virtue of the time when he was would have been in Antigua, that he could not have been the father of the child, okay. and so we could we could establish fraud, mm -hmm. and fraud is actually a very difficult thing to establish because you have to. You have to have uh, you have to form a reasonable basis to show that this was a deliberate act on the person's part. Let me let me and let me. So we felt, mm -hmm. Well, yeah. I, I wanted to bring in Mr. Jared Hewlett um, just to, to to bring him in on this issue as we talk about um, uh, seeking some manner of 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 of, of compensation or, or or what what recourse um, uh, do you think should be available to persons and and whether or not um, we should uh, as we talk about perhaps legislating. Uh, the terms on which paternity, or expanding the terms on which paternity can be test can be granted, uh, perhaps that we should also look to see whether or not there should be some uh, statutory recourse. Uh, what do you think, Mr. Jarrett Hewlett? Well, you see, I agree with um, what Monique was saying, but I, I, I guess I'm a little bit more <laughs> radical in my in my view because I, I don't just believe that the paternity test should be mandatory at the magistrate's court level. I believe that a law should be passed making paternity tests mandatory at birth for every for every child born in Antigua. Because if you look at this issue, it's not a one-off issue. It's not a rare occurrence. It's not a once in a blue moon thing. Men being, you know, um, raising children that turn out not to be theirs is a, is a very common thing. As a matter of fact, um, an article came out in 2019 from Jamaica which actually spoke to a DNA testing. It was from a DNA testing facility. And they said um, seven in every 10 of their cases turned out that the father was not the biological father. That's 70% of cases. Well, I will, say, I, will say, I will say on that point um, that uh, I, I believe Jamaica has a, a particular jacket culture, if I use that phrase. <laughs> well, I, I won't go with you on that, but I will just say that the, in general, the issue of a father finding out that he's not the biological father is not an is not a, is not a strange thing. So, what really then is the argument against having um, paternity testing at birth? Because at birth, there's a number of blood tests and other sort of tests that need to be done. But I feel like in our society, we have this stigma attached to paternity testing, like it's an indictment on the woman. It's an indictment of her character because you know I'm not sure I'm the father, so it must be that you're a loose woman. So I have to get this test. To show you know and and i don't think that that's you know I, I think that's a very backward perspective to have in 20 2021 i think now that we have the, the science and technology available for fathers to be sure of their paternity 
why why isn't that something that we do regularly because if we, if we only do it in cases where a woman is being accused of of, of being loose or in the magistrate's court when when there's a child when there's a fight and there's a negativity attached to it then that stigma will perpetuate but if it's a regular thing that everyone whether you're married whether you're single once a child is born and this person is held out as the father a test is done i think it would alleviate a lot of hardship and prevent these kinds of things if you so i agree with what if you're saying but i would just take it a step further if you're married and you if you're married and you don't want to have the paternity test done that's a problem in and of itself um, well, that's why I said, but that's why that's why I was saying it should be mandatory because you see, if it's a thing where do you want one and you can say no because if you're married and the the, the law is that along with the blood test and the whatever various medical tests are done, a paternity test is done. Why would anyone feel they must fight to not have a paternity test done? What, what would be the logic behind that? I can't think of anything. So that's just that's my that's my perspective on on, on how we could deal with this issue going forward. Uh, but, uh, c- coming back to you, Ms. Ivina Benjamin, on the issue of uh, paternity testing and how we, we treat with that in practice and in law, uh, w- what would you recommend going forward to, for instance, avoid a situation uh, such as what uh, reportedly uh, took place in this case? Well, the issue that, uh, the issues raised by this gentleman, apparently, um, well, in, my, in the territory where I, I work, um, that's not a, a widespread issue. We've had one or two people kind of coming forward saying they're not the father, and we would have done paternity testing by consent. And sometimes the test comes back agreeable to the woman, sometimes not. And um, in instances like that, the parties, we've had instances where the paternity tests reveal that the man was not the father. And uh, sometimes the men are so happy to get away from the whole situation. They don't think about the issue of compensation. They just simply run. They make, they make a dash for it. And then you have the issue of the child. Sometimes they would have gone onto the registry, register his name in, in the child's birth records as a father. You have that issue that has to be rectified. You have to go before the judge of the high court for that. And um, so if it's a prevalent um, situation and it's happening multiple times, all the time, very often, then I suppose that a case can be made for, for, for persons who are unmarried to have the test done. I would not go as far as doing it for married people because there is that presumption that if you're married, that the father is, husband is the father of a child, unless there, is, there are other reasons where the, why, why the father would come forward and say, you know, he's not a father. So it's a matter of what pertains in your territory, how prevalent it is, and if it's a, a prevailing problem, you want to arrest, then I, I would say I, had, I, I don't see the difficulty in doing it with unmarried parents. But that would depend, as I said, on how the, how the society looks at the whole situation, the, the policy makers and all of that, and how they view that kind of thing. And, and to the issue of, um, you know, at the end of, of such a situation, as this gentleman says, he wants to take some sort of recourse. Um, we heard from Ms. Monique Francis-Gordon about the avenue that was pursued in another case where uh, there was uh, the attempt to prove fraud. Uh, what sort of recourse do you think there could be or there should be? What are your, what are your opinions on recourse in a matter like this? Um, I, I really not sure, you know, because it's either if in the case, let's deal with the matter at, at hand, where this gentleman claims he's paid about $120,000 over a 50-year period. If he decides that he wants to uh, recoup that money, I am not sure what his, what his options would be. Eh? 
because at the time he really thought he was the father of the child. I don't know even if he can claim it as a debt. I am not sure if he can arrange some make some kind of arrangement with the, with the woman to pay this money. Um, in this case, the cases I have dealt with, the gentlemen, a few times I've dealt with that, they've simply walked away and said, you know, I've had that situation, it's unfortunate, and they've walked away. I have never had, I've never seen litigation coming before me, or I'm not aware of it going before the high court of anybody trying to recover the monies that they've spent. But if the gentleman wants to do that, I don't see why not. He would have spent the money, but then again, he did it on the premise that he was the father. But then you have the argument where he's saying that he was forced to do it by the court. So a lot of issues at play there. A lot of issues that the answers are not readily available to me. Yeah. And Miss um, Monique Francis Gordon, um, uh, uh, in such a case, uh, is there any other uh, recourse? I mean, you discussed the avenue that was taken in another case. Um, yeah. to do with fraud uh, or, or pursuing it as fraud? Is there any other recourse that, that might be available? Any other options? Should there, should you take um, recourse? Would you recommend that uh, 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 um, someone who uh, has supported a child um, actually uh, take recourse in such a matter or that they just sort of close their eyes and say, okay, well, you know, uh, you know, it, it, it went towards the, the maintenance of that child and that, that child is a person. So, you know, money well spent. Each each situation is different so you have to take the peculiar circumstances as they are but w at the heart of all of this will be a child or children and they're not pieces of furniture so it's not like i just get my money back and it's over i mean relationships are formed bonds are, bonds are established whether i mean bio it's beyond biology um fa fatherhood isn't just about blood if you have acted as a father to a child, whether or not a, a DNA test says that you are the father, in that child's eyes, you are their father. And the case that I was telling you about that I was involved in, um, even though we had a good case for fraud, my client ultimately decided not to pursue the matter because he loved the child as his. So while he was extremely distraught and angry at the mother, he loved this child. And that is the human element in these stories. And that's why I think, um, you know, and so where, where more time goes by, you develop a relationship with the child or children. And it's very difficult, uh, you know, to separate to separate these things. And that is why I feel uh, I feel very strongly that we uh, should um, have the paternity test done as a matter of course at the inception of these matters. But I do not share Jared's views that everybody should have a paternity test done. I know he quoted that study from Jamaica, but we don't have that jacket culture to that, um, to that extent here in Antigua. Absolutely not. As a matter of fact, the contrary. In my 23 years of practice, I have only ever had that one case where with all the matters that I've done, where the paternity test was done and he proved not, and the father, the person, the alleged father was proven not to be the father. So by and large in Antigua, when a woman takes you to court for child maintenance, um, you are going to be um, a judge, the father in, in the majority of cases. I've only ever witnessed one other case in court and it was a, quite a curious one where this woman had gone to court on about three different occasions with three different persons alleging that they were the father <laughs> of the child and and in
on each occasion, the, the individual turned out not to be the father of the child. But one of the things that comes out of this matter is that a lot of fathers feel hard done by the, um, the court maintenance system. They feel that it is slanted towards the mother they feel that um, they're just money machines. Um, you just come to court, you just pay. It's all about how much you're going to pay. And they don't feel that they have their day in court. And whether or not that is so, perception is reality. And I think if you took a straw poll of um, persons walking down Market Street who are subject um, to a maintenance order, by and large, more, more of them will tell you that they feel that way than not. And because of this perception, I think it behoves us to do something to make the system feel more equitable. Yes, there are a number of deadbeat fathers out there, but by and large, there are also a number of fathers who want to play a meaningful role in their, in their children's lives. And sometimes women weaponize the children in these matters and try to withhold access and visitation um, or, because they know it's going to hurt the man. Well, uh, Mr. Jared Hewlett, um, I, I would ask you whether or not you share that opinion that, um, well, uh, well, I'm not sure if Ms. Monique Francis actually expressed opinions, and let me not say that it was an expressed opinion, but I, I ask you whether or not you feel that the court system, the maintenance system, um, has become hardened or, or, or biased negatively towards men. And so that, for instance, in a case like this, you, you may have a gentleman come to court under a, a particular magistrate. Uh, however it worked out, it was determined, yes, you are the father, that has been accepted. And then every other time he returns to court, uh, sometimes under a new magistrate, uh, what they're seeing is a gentleman coming before them saying, oh, well, I'm not the father of this child. And so that they assume, no, nah, this is just another deadbeat saying, you know, oh, I'm not the father of this child, I don't want to pay any money. Uh, let me just get this out of my court. Um, do you think that the system has become hardened or biased in that way? Well, let me just first, I, I want to say that I'm, I'm not surprised that my, my fellow panelists <laughs> do not share my view on um, testing for everyone born. But uh, with regard to your to your question, uh, the the presumption, as I think um, Ivenia would have said, the presumption that, for example, in a marriage, therefore, the reason why you wouldn't, you know, want a child born out of born from a marriage to be tested because there's that presumption that notion of a presumption is what i think affects the administration of justice in our courts because for example there's a presumption that the mother is the right person for the child to live with it, it, it's almost odd in our society to hear of a single parent being the father with the mother alive and well and uh, up and about that's that that's that's an unusual situation in our society because there is this presumption that the mother is, is, is the proper person for the child to live with. And that's not really based on anything other than, you know, tradition and, and practice. And similarly to, to my point about the um, universal uh, paternity testing, the, the presumption that, well, you know, if you're unmarried, there's a higher chance of, you know, um, a child being born that doesn't belong to the father that you claim it is that if you're married. I mean, look around in our society. Are married people beacons of, of fidelity and, and 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 you know that kind of thing? Is is that is that the reality that we have on the ground, or is that something that we're holding on to as a presumption, as a you know an idealistic position? Because the reality of the situation is every human being 
can choose to, to, to cheat and choose to do whatever it is, is they wish to do. And there's no, you know, there's, there's, no, there's no magical cure for that. Being married does not prevent infidelity. Being married does not prevent you from getting a jacket. You know, it, it, these things are, while we have these presumptions, they're not helpful in my opinion. And a lot of the quote unquote bias that you see come out in court, because I do agree, that there is a certain slanting. I wouldn't necessarily say biased and the court is against men or any of that thing, but there is definitely a presumption in favor of women and mothers when it comes to family matters. And fathers have an extra hill to climb to, 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 to put their position forward if they're in opposition to the mother. I, I heard somebody say, even with regard to paternity testing policies at the, the institutions we have in Antigua, that some, some of those institutions, if not all, require the mother's consent to, to test the child. I mean, why, why, if I am allegedly the father of this child and I want to get a test, why does the mother have to consent to me getting that test? What is the reasoning behind that? You know, and so I just think these presumptions and these sort of assumptions are what we need to move away from and start actually dealing with the with the facts on the ground. Mm. And Miss um, Miss Ivina Benjamin, um, and you'll be the last speaker for this round because we do have to end. But I would ask you, uh, um, how will you respond as someone who has acted in that that position where you have to make a determination uh, in 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 matters that come before you? Um, how do you respond to that concern, uh, whether in society or brought by by counsel sometimes that um, the system is, is slanted in in favor of the mother? and that fathers have a harder time. Uh, how, how do you respond to that concern? To respond to Mr. Hewlett's um, concern, custody is vested in a, in a, in a single mother because she's, she's unmarried. She's, by patrician, she's the mother, so custody is vested in her naturally. Custody can be switched over to the father if it can be proven that she's an unfit mother. And uh, there are rules you know, governing that as to what, what, what the court should look for in terms of granting an order when a father comes forward and says, I am the better parent to have the child. At all times, the child is the weaker person in the whole scenario. The child was, did not ask to be born. The child has to be dependent on somebody for maintenance, to be fed, to be clothed, to be protected for health, um, whatever for the, the health needs. So the court always must bear in mind that there is an innocent, there is a young, there is a vulnerable person who needs to be protected. And that is what guides the court every time uh, an application is made to the court for maintenance. And that's why the first thing you have to do is to get the issue of paternity out of the way. And uh, as, as I had said earlier on, whether by consent or whether by a trial or whether by DNA, you get that sorted out. Once it is sorted out, you make the order and that order will stand until the child gets to a certain age. It is not, it may appear um, to people on the outside that the court is slanted in favor of women, but it really is not the case. I have worked as a magistrate for many years and I've never had anybody claim that I have been biased in favor of women. As a matter of fact, I've seen women do some real crazy things. I've seen instances where women, a, a young lady, for example, not in Angola, but in some other territory where I worked, would have brought her uncle to the court, to the registry, registered the uncle as the father of her child, because the uncle lived in the US territory and she intended for him to file for the child to get US documents. So she actually left the biological father out of the equation altogether. And she brought somebody else, deliberately so, 
So we have women doing some real devious things, and they have the reasons for why, why, they, why they do these things. But at the end of the day, um, when these things are brought to light, the court is very, takes a very, very strict approach to, to you know, things like that. You don't allow people to, to come and abuse other people before the court. That's just not the case at all. It's unfortunate that that is the general consensus out there, that people feel the court is, is slanted in favor of women and children. But that's not the case at all. We always look at, look at the best interests of the child and we protect the rights of all parties. I'm very sorry to hear what happened to this gentleman, Diga, and I hope that he can, through his lawyer and some mediation process, find some peace with the mother of the child and what have you. Because as Council Ms. Gordon was saying, paying the money back doesn't necessarily solve the problem. If over the 15-year period he had built some relationship with the child, then he might have some kind of human compassion inside of him and feel like, okay, you know what? Let me just let this go. Let, 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 you know, it's an unfortunate thing that happened, but you know, whatever he chooses to do, I hope it brings him peace. But it is not the, it is not the intention of the court, at least from where I, I, I used to sit, to be um, slanted in favor of any one person over the other. Mm. Oh, we're, Mr. Murdoch, Mr. Murdo, yes, if, if I could. 30 seconds, please. A, a question where I was um, wasn't able to finish. You asked what um, recourse the gentleman, what other possible recourse the gentleman has open to him. If based on what we're reading in the um, in the newspaper that he was not he requested at from the very beginning and was never given a paternity test, his recourse wouldn't be against the mother. It would be against the state because he was he he was denied this. And this ought to have been given to him. Can it be argued? Would you say it can be argued it ought to have been done? Yeah, if if he can prove that it was never done, he would have a he would have a case against the state. Mm. Because as Miss Benjamin just pointed out, that's the first that is the first step in um these paternity matters. Do you accept or dispute paternity? And if you dispute paternity we have to get past that hurdle before we get to how much are you going to pay. But I mean, in terms of the paternity, uh, in terms of it being a right, is there anything that lays it out as a right that he could say, well, look, I was denied my right, as opposed to the court simply, um, by the circumstances, used its discretion to say, you know what, forget the paternity test. By the circumstances, it appears to us that you are the, the father. Is there any right that he could point to, whether in practice or in law, that says I should have been granted a paternity test? Yeah, it, it, it is done as a matter of practice. I but, can't point to any specific legislation at the moment, but I can guarantee you it is done as a matter of practice. Okay, we are... Uh, if, if I may just... Yeah, ask, 30 seconds. Go ahead, go ahead. The, the, there's section 10 of the Maintenance of an Access to Children Act 2008 gives the magistrate the discretion because after hearing the evidence, the magistrate says the magistrate may order a test for paternity. But there is no such right to paternity under our legislation as it currently is. And with that, we're going to leave this segment here. One more thing, though. One more thing. Go ahead, go ahead. He has voluntarily registered his name as the father of a child at the registry of the High Court. The birth certificate may state that he's the father. And if that is the case, you can't fall the court. You can't fall to the court if that is the case. And with that, because we're going to... With, of um, paternity. With if, that? If your name... That is correct. If your name appears on the birth certificate there but as we all know with presumptions they are rebutted by you saying well look um 
something has led me to believe otherwise. That, we're going to leave this segment here. <laughs> With that, we're going to leave this segment here. Uh, we want to say thank you to all three of our panelists. Uh, Miss Ivina Benjamin, she joined us. She's an attorney at law, and she's also a former senior magistrate in Anguilla. Uh, we say thank you to Miss Monique Francis-Gordon. She's an attorney at law here in Antigua and Barbuda. And also to Mr. Jared Hewlett. He, too, is an attorney at law here in Antigua and Barbuda. Thanks to all three of you. You're welcome. Thank you very much. Thanks again for having me. Yes. Bye-bye. Take care.